The Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. And testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Jesus, thank you for gathering us around your word, inviting us to your table, pouring out your gracious presence on us, when we are receptive to your word. May you prepare our hearts even now by your grace, by your spirit to receive your word to us. And may we see the hope that is offered to Nicodemus as a word of hope that is offered to us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to open it to John chapter 3 as we begin this examination of Jesus' interaction with a man named Nicodemus. Now, what I'm about to say to you might need to never be said in church, but I just kind of feel like it's helpful anyway as just a little prompt. When you and I read the Gospels, I think it's a good idea for any Christian or follower of Jesus, or to use the language the New Testament uses, a disciple of Jesus, to recognize that all through the Gospels, the Gospels tell the story of the Gospel. And in the Gospels, anytime you meet Jesus, you are encountering the Gospel, because Jesus in his very presence is the good news. And so when we read a narrative, particularly like the one I just read, it's very fascinating to imagine what then is Jesus in the good news presented to someone like a Nicodemus. 
If you keep going in John's gospel, for instance, just to the very next chapter, for example, you get to chapter four, you have Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. I tend to think and and typically read the gospel of John like John intends for us to see the gospel or the good news as being able to be applied to two incredibly different sets of circumstances captured in two entirely different sorts of people. So I don't typically, uh, or I have learned to unthink this over the course of my life, but I don't tend to think that every single person who meets Jesus is going to receive the good news in the same way because people aren't the same. And Jesus doesn't present himself to people in the same way, even on the pages of our very own Bible. So I don't think it's a good idea for Christians to imagine that any person you share the gospel with is going to receive it or hear it in the exact same way. Therefore, we might want to think about tailoring what we say and what we don't say to people based upon their needs. But today we're not looking at the Samaritan woman, unfortunately, because I think that might be my favorite story in the gospels, actually. Uh, But today we're looking at Nicodemus. And I want you to know, if you're looking in your Bible and you see that all John tells us is that there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a leader of the Jews. So right here, what we have is we have a man who is a religious man, who is a well-educated man, who is a leader among his own people, and a Pharisee of of all, like a leader among the Pharisees, no doubt. So what we have here again is is a man, we have a man in a privileged position, we have a man who is a leader, a man who is incredibly well-educated, and a man who undoubtedly knows the scriptures inside and out. Now that describes a certain kind of person, okay? Like I said, in the Samaritan woman story in John chapter four, we have somebody very different. We have a non-privileged woman not well-known, not well-educated, in fact, very um, disdained by the people in her society, not only for what she had done personally, but for just the fact that she was a Samaritan. So in these two stories, the juxtaposition here is incredible, and Jesus's ability to know what to say to who and when is key. And this is one of those stories where if we didn't have our chapter breaks, you and I could make a little bit more sense of this story. Because in the last two verses of John chapter two, we're given a little bit of an insight. And here's what John tells us. It says, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Okay, we we know from Nicodemus, Nicodemus sees some signs and he's gonna make some conclusions about Jesus. But John tells us, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for Jesus himself knew what was in man. So it's interesting, the way the ESV translates this, it says Jesus did not entrust himself to them. But it says that many people believed in Jesus' name when they saw the signs that he was doing. The word for believe and entrust is the same Greek word. Many people believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in many people because he knew what was in them. Now comes along a privileged, educated, intelligent, competent leader of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Does Jesus know what's in Nicodemus? Perhaps. What does Nicodemus say? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because nobody can do these signs unless the presence of God is with him. Now, if I was Jesus, 
I'd be like, okay, that's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's pretty decent. You're making some connections along the way. You know, some people, if you think about the signs, right? The signs, what was Jesus's sign most recent in the narrative? Well, it would have been his sign where the religious leaders demanded Jesus to prove to them a sign that he had the authority to drive them out of the temple with a cord of whips. And what does Jesus say? Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. That's the sign for you. And of course, everybody freaks out. But somewhere along the way, Nicodemus and his buddies have concluded that Jesus must be a teacher sent from God because he's doing all these things. Now, if I was Jesus, I would say, wow, that's really good, good insight. Jesus doesn't do that at all. It's almost like he ignores Nicodemus' insight altogether and just says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, this is typically not something you say or would imagine wanting to receive if you were a very well-educated, prominent leader among your people. Nicodemus is used to being the one to give answers to questions. He's not used to being the one to be instructed. When I read this narrative, I see myself in this narrative um, all the time. I, I, I guess either that the things aren't clicking with me or, or that I think I've been able to make, you know, a... a a direct comparison between something Jesus has said or something that I think is actually true here. But Nicodemus does what I think lots of people today do, and that is have no problem addressing Jesus as teacher. Nicodemus is a man of the scriptures. Um, he knows his Bible. He knows what's in it. He knows what it says. He believes the words that he reads on the page. And yet something that Jesus will eventually address with several religious leaders is something that John tells us about in chapter 5. Jesus says to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yet it is they that bear witness about me. So what Nicodemus is going to come face to face with here, and this is difficult, okay? This is hard to understand, and this is somewhat hard to articulate. I'm feeling the pressure of trying to articulate this well. But Jesus is, is forcing Nicodemus to come up against what the written word says about what Nicodemus thinks God is going to do for his people and what Jesus, who John tells us is the word, will be what God expects from his people. You see, Nicodemus knows the scriptures inside and out, and Jesus actually says to him, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? You're a teacher of Israel? I mean, that, I, again, that would be like going to a doctor and saying, you're a doctor and you don't know what a scab is? How can you do that? You, you know like 40 different terms for what blood does inside the human body. How can you not know what happens to it when it, you know, dries and crusts on the outside? Like, I mean, it's just this strange thing. Now, that would be sort of insulting. And Jesus isn't here to insult Nicodemus. But Jesus says to him, he just blows right past his question and just says, unless one is born from above, he cannot enter the kingdom of God and he cannot see the kingdom of God. This born from above is a term that John uses actually all through his gospel. 
When Jesus dies in John chapter 19, for example, we're told that the temple curtain was torn into from top to bottom. It's the same word used for from above. It's something that comes down from the top to the bottom. Some power, life source, energy, ability coming down from above to us. But Nicodemus, in the way John tells us this narrative, is not so sure that he hasn't already arrived at this place. After all, he knows his scriptures. He's responsible for teaching them to other people. What more does he need? He sees himself as a teacher. Maybe he recognizes Jesus as one as well and simply comes to Jesus as a teacher who might be able to give him a few insights about his own life. Nicodemus, though, is unaware of the fact that all of his learning means nothing unless the Holy Spirit awakens him and enlivens him to the truth of what it means to actually get to know God. The scriptures can be used to point us to Jesus, but you can know the scriptures inside and out and not know Jesus at all. It's a hard thing to say. That's a hard thing to try to wrap your mind around. But Jesus is the full revelation of God. We do not worship this. This is the means by which we get to know Jesus. And through Jesus, we find life. Nicodemus, though, is an interesting character. Um, I used to pick on Nicodemus. I don't do that anymore. And John, I don't think, wants us to. In chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus shows up on the scene. He's a bit sensitive to the ways of Jesus and why some of his Pharisee friends don't seem to like Jesus. Nicodemus is never fully sure he's capable of leaving the religious establishment that he's a part of in order to fully follow Jesus. Things don't click with him until after Jesus dies. John 19 indicates to us that Nicodemus was present at the death of Jesus, bringing pounds and pounds of perfumes to anoint Jesus' body with. Nicodemus is a man of wealth, also of education, of prestige, and of privilege. And by the end of Jesus' ministry, Nicodemus sees it. But Jesus, or John rather, points out to us in verse 2 of John 3 that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. It's a fun little study if you like to do things like this, if your personality lends itself to you, is to read the Gospel of John and just make a note, either on a notebook or by underlining in your Bible, all the references to light, dark, day, and night. They're everywhere. And John, in the way his gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's an echo, clearly, to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God called the light, God called the, the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so John is picking up on these ideas. Nicodemus, in keeping things somewhat hidden, he's going to explore who Jesus is in a safe place. Jesus knows that's what he's doing. And so he just lays it right out on the table, which is what Jesus always does with us. Just get it out. Just come right forward with it. Because why keep something back when Jesus is the one John tells us who in him was life 
and the life was the light of men. The darkness tried to squelch the light, but it was powerless to do so. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night because he's not sure he's free enough to actually approach Jesus fully in the daytime. And so our passage ends in one of the most famous verses probably in all of the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The next verse I wish was added to all the same billboards that post John 3.16, but that's my own preference. And that's verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now let me read on for you because this part I also think is necessary. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus under cover of darkness. He comes to him at night because he's not quite sure he wants all of himself to be exposed. This is the way relationships work. This is the way you work when you meet someone new or when you have a relationship like Sammy and Sandy who've been married for 40 years. There's a different kind of openness. There's a different kind of vulnerability with someone you've been married to for a long time than someone you just met last Tuesday. We tend to keep to ourselves things we don't know if they can be trusted in the presence of someone else. Gospel of John talks about Jesus coming to us as the light. And what does light do? It drives out the darkness. But the way John 3 explains this is different than I used to hear growing up. I grew up in the church. But I used to hear as if God's going to just be so disappointed with people for not trusting in him that he's going to condemn them at the end. And Jesus says, look, this isn't the condemnation. I've not come to condemn you. I've come to set you free. The reason why people don't want the light shined in their lives is because darkness is residing there and they don't want to give that up. So it almost sounds to me like Jesus is saying, come, come into the light. And there are several people, Nicodemus is this like riding the fence guy who isn't quite sure that's what he wants to do. And so he waits. But Jesus offers this invitation to us all to come into the light with him, to receive his presence in our lives with us and for us by his spirit. Nicodemus approaches Jesus and says, we believe that you're a teacher sent from God. Well, who's we? Who knows? His religious friends, his Pharisee friends, I don't know. But remember what Jesus says. He doesn't entrust himself. He doesn't need people to bear witness about man. What man needs is for people to bear witness about God. And that's what Jesus does. He says to Nicodemus, oh, I lost my place. He says, we speak 
of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Who's the we? Why would Jesus just insert a we? Nicodemus is talking about Jesus alone and Jesus doesn't speak about himself in the first person. He speaks about himself in the first person plural. We testify. The three, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit blows just like he, he goes where he wants, he does what he wants. Just like the wind blows, so it will be with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is what the gospel teaches us. It teaches us that no matter how learned or educated or privileged or rich or wealthy or intelligent we are, those things do not guarantee, do not grant us entrance or even the ability to see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is granted entrance into as a pure gift from above, getting our life from above, getting our identity from above, getting our sense of self from above, getting our sense of worth from above, receiving forgiveness of sins from above. It is not nor ever will be anything that we can do from here. It is always a gift. The reason why Nicodemus doesn't have such a radical shift the way the woman at the well does is because Nicodemus is here. The woman at the well is here. If the kingdom of God is here, Nicodemus has to give up a lot to come here. The woman at the well gains a lot to come here. Which one of them do you think will have an easier time coming here? The answer is super obvious, but it's unsettling when I look at this passage and think, I'm here. I'm the one with access to all the education. I'm a pretty privileged person. I'm not that wealthy, but you know, maybe compared to a lot of people I am, sure. To come to the place where those things don't get me any more advantages in the world, or rather in the kingdom, means that those are things I will have to give up in order to find a place in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is calling me to. Not because those things are all bad, it's just those things don't guarantee me or grant me any type of superiority over anybody else. So having money is not bad, being smart is not bad, being educated is not bad. It's bad if I begin to think that because of wealth, because of prestige, because of status, because of education, because I'm a man, that makes me better than someone who doesn't have any of those things. And I just see that theme repeating itself all over the gospels. It's an awkward theme. But Jesus is saying, look, if the gift of entrance into the kingdom comes from outside of all of you, then stop playing this game because it's not getting us anywhere. It comes from above. Nicodemus, everyone must be born from above. And I think it's important to notice that in all of the gospels, in all of the New Testament, this is the only time that someone is told to be born from above, or as some translations put it, born again. And it's directed not to an outsider. 
but to a self-proclaimed insider. I find that really fascinating. I don't know if that term is something we ought to just rant, like, you know, cast out and apply to every person. Jesus doesn't use that language with the woman at the well. He doesn't use that language with Zacchaeus. He doesn't use that language with the prodigal son. He doesn't use that language with all sorts of people, but he uses it with a self-proclaimed religious leader who finds himself in a privileged status position within his own community. To that person needs an extra strong reminder that their life comes from outside of them, not based upon all their accomplishments and all their prestige. I think that's a hard word, but I think that's a good word because I know for me, it's easy to get um, caught up in the things that I think give me value and worth. And then I can very easily become threatened when those things I, I feel are potentially going to be removed from me because I lose a part of myself if I'm too closely attached to those things. That's not life in the kingdom. In fact, that's not life at all. That's death. <laughs> that's constant bondage. That's constant slavery. And that is not the life Jesus has called us to. So I hope that is a word of encouragement for you this morning. I don't know where you find yourself, but we can praise Jesus and thank him that his gift of life comes to us from above by his spirit who is one with the Father and the Son. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. I, th I thank you for the narrative of Nicodemus. I thank you for even his willingness to come find you even in the night. And I know that in the dark, it is oftentimes a way of thinking about things that are just a little bit uncertain. But Jesus, I ask that you would show us why it is so much more, more glorious to be fully in the light with you. And I thank you so much for this church. And I thank you for the work that your spirit is constantly doing in each of our lives individually, as well as as a body. And I pray that we would continue as a church body to take on the shape more and more um, of who you are. So thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving us this rain. What an image you're giving us today of your spirit being poured out on us uh, for our own blessing and for the blessing of the world. We thank you and praise you. In your name we pray, amen.